So guys, welcome to episode 38 of the Humanity Jiu-Jitsu podcast. It is amazing that I can actually get people to agree to be on this fucking show. I am joined by this purple belt with an amazing mustachioed complexion, Morgan Matizak. <laughs> what is up, dude? What's up, man? That was a good intro. <laughs> the people must um, know about my mustache. <laughs> well, man, like, depending on what thumbnail I use, the leaders see... Uh, the good mustache, the, the vaudevillian mustache, or no mustache. So, like, uh, I don't know which one to use yet. We'll see. <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, so, man, one thing I always get out of the way is, like, um, bleh, sorry, fumbly little. Uh, where did, fucking hell, what's wrong with me today? Uh, where do you train in case anyone wants to get around, around at you sometime? Um, so, I train, I kind of cross-train now, given the whole uh, COVID-19 stuff. And given that my girlfriend lives in another state, so I'm always in Oregon. But uh, primarily, I train out of Kindred Jiu-Jitsu in Edmonds, Washington. We're a workshop BJJ affiliate uh, under Aaron Milam. Uh, and then when I'm in Portland, I am training under Phil Schwartz uh, at 10th Planet Portland with Amanda Lowen and Sam Hardy and Kevin and all those guys down there. Mm. So this is just a preemptive shout out. It's just like, oh, these guys, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's weird, man, because like, I mean, ninety nine percent of my training has been at Kindred, and this COVID stuff happened in March, and we had to close down, you know. And it's like, didn't really have the ability to train, and so I started like living with my girlfriend, and we had mats, and so I was training with my girlfriend a bunch, and whenever I'm in Portland, like I try to get training in down there. So it's basically, it's kind of cool though. Cause it's like, I'm training with smaller groups of people, um, whether I'm home or I'm in Portland and, uh, it's really quality training partners regardless too. So mm. I finally have like a routine <laughs> where I'm able to train now and it feels not normal, but like I've developed a new normal to where like I'm actually training frequently, which is pretty cool. Mm. <clears throat> plus uh i find like smaller groups and stuff you have more max space so you're not bumping into people every second two seconds so that that's one upside at least regardless of what like one's belief is given the whole the whole COVID 19 stuff and like what one's individual risk is like depending where you're at in the country like i have older family members um so like the first first couple months of, of COVID up here, like regardless of what data was popping up and stuff, I was being pretty darn careful because like my mom's immune compromised. Um, but as time has gone on and we don't seem to have like a thought through plan in our country, <laughs> I'm starting to train more and just, you know, I'm, I, if I'm out in public and stuff, I'm wearing a mask or if I'm in a store, if I'm around, sick people and wearing a mask just in case but i'm not gonna not live my life you know mm. uh, man you should like uh what's it i see these people like uh, i'll give them some credit they come up with like really sort of uh creative masks that they wear for like the going outside and stuff like uh so well i guess it's like to help people not fucking come near them that's another thing like uh <laughs> i i seen someone they had like a mask and it looked like uh Oh, I can't fucking remember. I think it was like uh, it was like a fucking I can't fucking remember. But it looked. Uh, I bet you I'll find it later after this fucking podcast over. I think it was like 
Baraka I, from Mortal Kombat or something. <laughs> yeah, dude, there's definitely... I mean, it's kind of... I don't know. I, I have, like, mixed opinions on this because, on one hand, it's fucking hilarious. Like, how dumb people are. <laughs> and then there are, like, some people that are wearing weird masks in jest, like, making a joke out of it. But, like... On the other hand, it's not as funny to me because there are some people that are, like, reacting so, like, just so off the wall, man. Like, I've literally seen people get screamed at and spit on for, for being asked to wear a mask. Like, like I literally saw someone at a grocery store get spit on because they asked someone to wear a mask. It's like, holy shit. <laughs> like, that's crazy, you know? Mm. I, I kind of, like, my whole thing on the mask is, that, like... I mean, yeah, do I want to wear it, like, in my car while I'm driving? No. But, like, if me putting on a mask while I'm in the grocery store makes, like, my neighbor less stressed out, then it really doesn't faze me to wear a mask, you know? Mm. Plus, I have one. One of my sponsors gave me a mask with, like, a puppy face on it. So. <laughs> At least I, uh, it's in theme, man. It's in theme with my life. So. Mm. Now, see... Like, it's not as bad over here in Ireland. It's like, uh, you know, cause small country. And, you know, I, we sort of, like, uh, started the shit in March, like, uh, mid-March. So, like, it's not really that bad here. It's not a big deal here. But, you know, it's just the way it is here. Yeah, so, man, I... Oh, sorry. It, it's, no, you're good, bro. It, it's weird just, like, looking at it in other countries. Like, it's hard to make accurate comparisons because, like, not only has like our country like our country i guess my country uh not only has like the u.s's response been like pretty ridiculous in my opinion but like you can't directly compare it to something like ireland or like new zealand or like even like a place like france like you can't because population density like it's just it's just so interesting i don't i'm not fucking smart enough <laughs> to, to like determine you know what i mean so it's just, yeah it's over time, man it's like all of the experts are are all over the place, which is like pretty normal given science. Like science changes, but it's hard when like when our government policy is being dictated by ever changing science. You know, mm. I feel like this is such a harsh on the vibe, <laughs> like talking wise. I'll try to not talk about COVID. <laughs> and uh, it is what it is. To get back on track on a less depressing note, <laughs> or yeah, it could be depressing potentially. Or this could be uh, depressing potentially. Uh, how'd you get into martial arts? Did you, tra- uh, did you train anything else before starting jujitsu? <laughs> That's not depressing. Um, I definitely trained uh, other martial arts before jujitsu. Um, if you can hear any snorting right now, it's because I have French bulldogs trying to get on my lap. Which uh, one is it? The, the white or the black one? People who watch your stories, one. these cute dogs. Yeah, black one. Um, I'm dog sitting two 13 year old French bulldogs right now. Josie and Luna, they're angels. I love them. Uh, but uh, they snort and it's really loud. So <laughs> I don't even remember what I was talking about, man. Uh, uh, oh, who's a martial arts? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, growing up, um, my, my mom was a foster kid and so I was around a lot of different cultures uh, so like my I grew up on a campus like while my mom was in school single mom type of thing um, I got exposed to just a lot of different cultures and with the, some of those cultures came martial arts you know so I had a lot of Filipino influence um, as a kid I, I had a lot of, of cool role models cool uncles um, that would help me learn stuff so 
I think originally I actually started with Hungar and then I went from Hungar to Taekwondo. And then <laughs> I was at a Taekwondo school in Olympia, Washington when I was in like third grade, maybe even earlier. Actually, it had to be earlier. It was probably like first grade. And my mom pulled me out because they gave me a star to put on my lapel of my gi. And my mom was like, this is bullshit, fake martial arts. <laughs> so she pulled me out. I think, I think that's awesome. <laughs> like, looking back, I'm like, yeah, there's no stars. Get out of here. Uh, so, you know, I went from Taekwondo, got pulled out of that, kind of had like a, a break from martial arts for some time. Um, so then there's like in this break my my mom didn't let me watch like like you know like pro wrestling yeah yeah so my mom would not let me watch pro wrestling because it's fake (laughs) what my mom would let me watch was pride so like as a, a young kid early teens i was watching like soccer kicks and like like rampage slamming people and like i was like into mma a bunch as i was like this chubby little kid that just played halo every day <laughs> like so i, I kind of like my, my for martial arts was reignited when i was like five three and 185 pounds so like <laughs> tough time to want to be a fighter you know yeah. uh, so so let me get this straight you weren't allowed to watch someone do like the walls of jericho or something but you were allowed to see pride stomps that's that's a what that's, it's that's real. messed up. That's messed no, up. One is real. One can happen to you. <laughs> like one is not real. I think I'll abide by that when I have kids. Well, like, like uh, I don't know. Well, like the walls of Jericho can actually work. It's like a variant of this one move called the Boston Crab. It's like a sort of spine lock and shit, and it, it fucking hurts. My fucking coach. I, told I, me. I try to Boston Crab people in jiu-jitsu all the time. I know. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like my coach fucking Boston Crabbed me one time, and I I called him a prick afterwards because it hurts so much. <laughs> like yeah, I mean, uh, it's, not, prick. it's not a high percentage real thing, you know. So okay, so I I went from like watching Pride, didn't really have martial arts. I graduated high school. Um, on and off, I boxed like most of my life and coming into like being 19, um, one of my good friends, Kyle Tapaccio, he's a training partner still now, still blue belt at Kindred. Um, he got me more interested in MMA cause he was training at, at an MMA school that was local. And I basically hit the ground running, uh, trained for about a year, uh, reconnected with my boxing coach, uh, Troy at a Rain City Athletics, um, through boxing, got into MMA. I had like a an amateur fight where like I immediately took him down and took his back and then like pushed the guy off me and was like, stand up, and then proceeded to like break my rib and both my big toes. <laughs> and like, it's, it's pretty funny. But uh, yeah, man, I, you know, it's kind of like a on and off path of martial arts brought me to MMA got into MMA, realized that, like, as much as I love it and I'm a student of the game, I don't want to be, like, a UFC fighter. And that realization caused me to take, like, four years off. I took four years off and got obsessed with video games. And <laughs> this is a lot you asked, but this is a long... Giving you my timeline. Uh, yeah, so I got... Eight minutes. Yeah, eight-minute timeline, bro. I got to compress a lot of years, dude. I've been doing martial arts my whole life. <laughs> So I took a break from MMA, you know, like I, when I was an MMA fighter, like I thought 
that my jujitsu was dope. I was like, man, I got a, I won my first MMA fight by triangle, you know, like I had a pretty wicked guard, but to be honest, man, jujitsu in like 2010 is not nearly what it is now, you know? And so like I'm winning, I was winning intermediate advanced brackets as a white belt. And I was just like, I'm fucking awesome. And I took a break and I came, dude, I came back. And all these blue belts that I used to train with after four years of a break, they're all like purple and brown belts. And I got fucked sideways. I had my world rocked. And so <laughs> since, since September of 2016, I've been dedicated to jujitsu because as much as I love MMA and stuff, man, coming back and, and having a striking experience and having all that stuff and just be manhandled by tiny people, I was like, I got to do it. I got to get back into jiu-jitsu. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, man. That's quite a, an yeah. epic sort of tale. Or what's it? Odyssey. That's it. Odyssey. That's the word I was thinking. I mean, the Odyssey is being fueled by an entire French press of coffee that I drank while we were getting ready for this. So <laughs> I am I'm... energized. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, not sponsored, by the way. Uh, like, uh, uh, this podcast is not sponsored by that random drink he's drinking. I can't remember what the thing was called. Was it, is it called Odyssey or something? Is that what it's called? I was making a joke, buddy. I just made a French press of coffee. <laughs> just coffee. Oh, okay. So, man, uh, speaking of competition, since you brought that up, what was your first sort of jiu-jitsu competition? How'd that go for you? Like, just a jiu-jitsu one, not like an MMA fight or anything? My first jiu-jitsu competition was the Arlington Submission Challenge. Um, I don't think it still takes place up here, but uh, it was like a, I entered a nogi bracket. Um, at, I believe it was 170. Uh, I cut way too much weight. So like it was day before weigh-ins for a local tournament, cut way too much weight. It was the first time I had cut in forever. And I went out there and I like, Won my first match by guillotine. It was a terrible guillotine. Like, I shouldn't have won. But I, like, I held on to a guillotine for the entire round. And then eventually the guy tapped. So, like, I still don't think it was a choke. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Where you're just, like, gagging someone. <laughs> so, I won my, won my first match. Got absolutely destroyed my second match. I walk out there. I slap bump with the guy. And then it sets in that this dude's wearing, like, bad boy valet tudo shorts and no shirt. And I'm out there in, like, my Under Armour. <laughs> like he just like power doubled me and then like held me inside control for the entire round and so I thought I was out I actually remember my first tournament experience so vividly because I thought it was over I was like I lost I suck I had a my corner at the time just kept yelling at me to sweep this guy and he was like sweep him sweep him dude you gotta sweep him and I remember <laughs> I remember vividly being like I don't know how to do that. <laughs> like, <I'm trying> that. <laughs> and so my dude, my corner walked off. Oh, I literally didn't God. have, so I lose my first, my first loss ever. I don't have a corner and I'm like in terrible spirits. I'm literally getting my shit to walk to the car and they call my name over the PA. And it's because I have a third match because <laughs> there's four people in my bracket. So I have a third place match because I started with a win I'm absolutely tired thinking I'm out and I end up doing like a pop triangle in 30 seconds and I end up putting the kid to sleep. So I put the kid to sleep and <laughs> so like it's a, it's a tournament of firsts for me, you know, man. Cause like 
not only had I never competed before that day, like in a jiu-jitsu tournament, this was before my first MMA fight too. Um, so I hadn't really had any big competition, but I, I sleep this kid and someone in the crowd was like, pick up his legs. And I'm so nervous that I just picked up his legs. And then my coach from across the room screamed, don't touch him. And so I dropped his legs. So I put this dude, I'll send you video of it. I have video of it. I put this dude to sleep. I pick up his legs. And then you just see me look over my shoulder at my coach and I drop his legs and then it wakes him up. <laughs> but it looks like I just, like I slept him and I just dropped a dead body. <laughs> like it's horrible. Oh, man. You should have heel hooked him. That would have woke him up. <laughs> dude, I, heel hooks were like, this was in 2011. So like leg locks were pretty frowned upon. I remember I had one training partner who used to toll the shit out of me all the time. But other than that, like, I, I didn't really – leg locks weren't a thing. Uh, but it's not where I trained, you know? Ah, uh, what – such a primitive time. I fucking lo- love leg locks. Well, it was the age – like, I quit jiu-jitsu in the age of the Barambolo, which is, like, where we're reaching again, you know? Because, like, jiu-jitsu is cylindrical. So, like, <laughs> we went through a leg lock phase – now we're going back into the back take phase. So it's all good. Hmm. Uh, see, while we're on the topic, do you prefer competing under a specific rule set? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I, I tend to prefer no-gi submission only um, with EBI overtime rules to, to decide the winner. Um, I'm yet to complete in like a no-time limit sub-only tournament. That sounds pretty fucking cool too. But... Also, the idea of a two-hour match sounds horrible. I don't know if you've heard that uh, Shugyo Invitational. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's a tournament that they put on down at, in Portland where they invite like top top guys and at, at, at a certain weight class. And over like a three-day period, everyone goes against everyone in no time limit matches. Nice. It's really exciting. You should check it out if you see it on YouTube, dude. Like, there's crazy upsets. A purple belt sleeps Ethan Krellenstein in like 15 seconds. It's a crazy tournament. So Please. definitely check that out. Man, fucking, you'd want to have some gas tank on you for a fucking no time limit match, or you'd want to fucking have such a good game, such a good plan, you'd want to seal the deal in like a minute. Otherwise, how are you going to fucking deal? To be honest, I want to seal the deal in a minute in every match. <laughs> but like, uh, I don't know if you saw, but I just competed back east on uh, the finisher sub-only tournament. Uh, it's put on by Zach Mafani and J.M. Holland, the 10th line of Bethlehem guys uh, in Pennsylvania. But uh, I had about like two and a half minutes of, of guard work. And then I was like under side control, trying not to get choked or comorid for six minutes before overtime. So <laughs> things don't always go your way was the point of that. Mm. Oh man, uh, what was your sort of fastest win while we're on the topic of like sealing the deal quickly? Fastest win, fastest sub is like I, I got a thirty something second triangle, thirty three second triangle when I was a blue belt. Shit, so probably my fastest. I have fast escape times, like my fastest escape time in overtime is four seconds. But, Fucking hell! But that's an escape, not. Not like a submission, you know, not the same thing. Mm. See, my fastest one, this is actually my last ever fight as a white belt. 
like it was at this tournament it was like round robin style i had just lost to this other fight and they called me out like i'd been there for like 11 hours at that point because i decided in my infinite wisdom to go there super early for some reason i don't know why and then like uh, <laughs> uh well man it was it was my last white belt tournament and i was hyped so you know, man, i don't know what can you say oh, so like uh of it. yeah well i didn't know it'd be my last one i didn't know but like uh I got, see, they call me over for the bronze match. And like, I'm like, man, I just want to go home. So I fucking stomped over there. I flung my flip flops at the wall. I stomp on the mat, slap bump. I fucking leg lock this guy in 31 seconds. I was so fucking happy with myself. White belt, sir. What leg lock? Straight ankle? Yeah, just straight ankle. I'm, I'm the straight ankle wizard guy. Dude, honestly, man, I, so like, I love straight ankles, not as a move that I use. But because it's something I neglected in my game at an early stage, and I feel like now it would be diminishing returns to, like, try to sharpen a straight ankle lock. Like, it doesn't make sense for me right now. But the thing I like about the straight ankle lock is that, like, if you have a really good one, it exposes the heel for heel hook. <laughs> like, you attack it, the heel just pops out. Like, uh, I don't know if you... Again, Aaron Milam, he's with uh, Henzo Gracie Portland, but uh, he's a black belt under Donaher and and like, dude, that guy is small. He's 100, 150 pounds, 145 pounds. And when he straight ankles me, before he's even trying to finish it, I'm like screaming tap because it's so painful. Boy. So like, it would have been cool to have mastered that move at like white and blue belt <laughs> instead of like try to figure out leg locks on purple belt, you know? Oh man, here's the kicker. Every submission win I have under my belt is by straight ankle, straight ankle lock. <laughs> Now you're gonna have a legitimate straight ankle lock, and then when you get like to purple belt, you'll apply your legitimate straight ankle lock. People will be like, "That's not gonna work on me," and you're like, "I know," and then you heal. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's kind of like see, uh, the guy who taught me a, a straight ankle, the straight ankle lock, is this guy in my gym called Danny. He's a purple belt now. But when I first met him, he was like a really good blue belt. He just kept fucking pulling X guard, sweeping me straight ankle, X guard, sweep me straight ankle, again and again and again and again. And then when he got his purple belt and I was becoming a really good white belt, he started heel hooking me when I was getting wise to the fucking straight ankle. I'm like, you motherfucker. <laughs> That's good though. Like the thing about like, I don't know. I had, to, it's so weird to have this click for me at purple belt, but one of my training, I'm just shout outs left and right. But one of my training partners, uh, Liam Wynn, he is a purple belt with us at uh, Kendra Jiu Jitsu under Kyle McCutcheon. And like, this dude is a, is, is a wizard, but he became like his leg lock game was, was polished because our mutual training partner, uh, Austin Daffron, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's duck jitsu. He's going to be at uh, jujitsu OT this weekend on UFC fight pass. But, uh, yeah, man, like, <laughs> like our, our heel hooks and, and Liam's in particular, his leg locks were like polished against an incredibly efficient leg locker. And so like, for me, someone who wasn't that good at leg locks, like Liam's one of my main training partners, him always trying to bite my heels off, you know, it like taught me like defensive concepts that I just didn't really have. And so like, I had this like fear, this panic of leg locks where people would attack my legs and I would have this like really intense sense of urgency, you know, where I was mm -hmm. like, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> and I was like spazzing, you know, I'm spinning I'm I'm trying to clear my knee line and I, I had like simple basic concepts, but like it's crazy how like I wasn't hiding my heel. I wasn't like toe slipping. 
I wasn't heel flip. You know what I mean? So there's like, mm. because I, I put leg locks on this pedestal and I wasn't treating it like an aspect of jujitsu, you know, like uh, an, an, a knee bar is just an arm bar on the leg. Like it's literally the same thing. You control the knee line the same way you control the elbow line. I don't know, man. It's just mm. being able to like hide your heel, turn away and like think of things like as defensive concepts and not as like moves that you do to escape stuff really freaking helped me. Mm. Yeah, see, since you brought up Jiu-Jitsu Overtime just there, and one, that one of your boys is on it, one of my boys is on Jiu-Jitsu Overtime this weekend as well, funnily enough. Halpin! No, you it's, uh, him? No, it's to- <laughs> Tom Halpin, like, uh, you know. Yeah. 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 I, he used to teach the Nogi at, uh, the gy- at my gym, but he's up in Dublin now, he's a fuck it. I actually got the opportunity to train with him at his new, his new place a few days before Combat Jiu-Jitsu, and, uh, you know, it was a huge honour. Yeah, unfortunately, my buddy Austin lost in the first round um, at the last combat jiu-jitsu, but he made it to the semis in uh, the one in 2019. So, pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, man, Tom Halpin's dope. He's actually one of the people, uh, I mean, he was, yeah, like, uh, hearing about his experience and his training methods and kind of following him is, is what led me to start getting more closed training sessions, you know, like trying to train with maybe less volume of people and less like super crazy hard sparring rounds and and getting more more regular rounds with people working on specific reactions and stuff because i think that's like my big thing and something i'm really grateful to have taken from from tom and even if indirectly i've often kind of also pushed this on me but having like really clear goals you know and, and like having those goals translate to actual change. Like I, for the longest time I've had clear goals and I'm like, man, I'm not improving, you know? And it's because like every day I'd go in the gym and I would do class and I'd work on X, Y, Z and the whole rest of the alphabet. And when I started being like, all right, I'm going to come do class, but today I'm working on this. And today I'm not going to let this happen. And today, if this happens, then I'm not going to let this happen. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. Yeah. And training with like the same group of people, so they can keep you honest. It's been really good for me lately. Mm. Oh, man, so yeah, what was the first sort of seminar you attended? And do you remember what was taught at it? Like who was teaching it? First seminar. The first seminar I ever went to might have been a, a Hinner Gracie seminar. You guys, I you went- guys. <laughs> hey you got okay first of all that energy is legit <laughs> like <laughs> you can you can make fun of him all you want but i have never seen like so the the seminar that i attended was at a police academy and it they filled a gym auditorium dude there's at least 90 people there in my head i think that there might have been 90 pairs like 180 people Whoa. and maybe not maybe it's just 90 i don't know maybe i'm making it a legend in my brain, but dude, he got to every single pair of people and gave legitimate criticism and advice during the seminar. Like as someone who teaches, I sometimes don't get to everyone. It's something I'm working on, but like, dude, sometimes I don't get to everyone in the room when I'm teaching a class to 15 people because I'll get like really fixated, you know? So I know people make fun of Henner, but I was so impressed with his ability to articulate details in a really like simple way that that also left me like walking away with with new skills you know yeah it was a triangle 
Triangle Mastery Seminar with, with Henry Gracie was my first one, I think. His first memorable one, at least. I don't know if it was my first <laughs> seminar, but... Mm. Yeah, man, did, ever, did he show that fucking helicopter triangle? Like, for the life of me, I, I just don't get it. That's fucking... That's a weird Dude, one. I just, so I... The thing that it, it helped me most with, uh, the details I walked away with, is something that I, like, teach to this day in fundamentals for my close guard details, but... When you have a triangle, like having the ability to shoulder walk and, and get out from under someone when they're trying to stack you or when they begin to posture and being able to like adjust angle with my hips and not needing my arms. Like having a scoop grip is dope. It's amazing, of course. But if I don't have that, I want to be able to cut the angle with my hips. Mm. And then like he gave this analogy for like the shoulder walk detail I'm, I'm speaking of, kind of like an old lawnmower that got away, like in a cartoon. You know how, like, those old lawnmowers would just, like, keep running? And it would, like, kind of skip. The lawnmower would skip on the grass. That's essentially what I'm doing when I'm shoulder walking. And a silly little goofy analogy like that, like, literally made me understand the move. So I was like, okay, that's awesome. (laughs) Blue belt me was a one-trick pony, man. I literally only had triangles. Oh, man, uh, you know, it's weird. See, like, uh, you brought up something there. See, because... I play a lot of worm guard and lapel guard and lasso guard as well. Like this is sort of inter- interchangeable for this sort of little detail I'm going to bring up. When they sort of try, like, sort of stack me a bit, so like I'm not on my back and I'm not playing guard, like I'm on my shoulders and my head. Like, I use my head to like scrunch up and like walk myself away, so I'm back to playing guard instead of being stacked. And it's so fucking weird. <laughs> like whenever finger, they like look at finger me. walking. Like yeah. figure walking with your head. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. I use yeah, that's the same. It's probably the same concept. I'm wondering if you could shoulder walk there. I don't play. So like, okay. Honest moment here. Prior to the injury I'm about to tell you about, I also didn't train very much geese. But earlier last year, I broke my finger pretty bad. Like I jammed it. I broke up my middle knuckle. And so like since then, gee is miserable, dude. Like, as much as I tape my hands, I just hate gi grips. But, honest moment again, I really didn't like gi grips before that anyways. Uh, I have really long fingers, and so the gi would always make my hands hurt. So, like, I, as, as cool as worm guard and lapel-based attacks are, I when I'm rolling in the royal pajamas, I tend to roll with grips that are similar, if not the same, as my no-gi grips. And that's kind of something I, I absorbed from Aaron Milam again. Because he has injured hands and he's he has like two black belts, you know, like he has he's a twenty year black belt, so maybe not twenty years, I don't. But when you've been training for for that long and your hands hurt, you know, like you develop strategies. So like a lot of my grips are like monkey grips, claw grips, stuff like that. Where like so when I'm teaching, I'm like, and you can grab the lapel here or the neck, you know what I mean? So I like to present both options just because. I, I really do think that there's not like there's not a need to train both, but I think it is incredibly valuable if you do train both to point out the differences, you know? Mm. Now I get you. Cause you know, you don't just want to be pure gi orientated the whole time. Cause you know, once you're thrown into no gi and you don't have grips, you'll look like a fucking idiot when you try to roll. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's interesting. Like certain things are just different. Like my guard retention it, like I, I, I have bad habits from nogi. That that in the higher level I go in nogi, are exposed in nogi as well. But like I kind of was able to not have them be exposed 
unless I was in the gi, you know? Because, like, if you pass and then you grab my pants, it's a lot harder for me to get back to guard. But if you literally can't grab my pants, I have more freedom, you know? So <laughs> I know it's so simple and such a ridiculously simple concept, but, like, you have to adjust strategy. Like, if I get to close guard in the gi, it's also a lot easier for me to arm drag or to manip- manipulate limbs, you know? So... Mm. Uh, so guys, oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Right, no, you're good, man. I just I, on that tangent, I feel like the gi guys that do play like lapel lapel based guard games are the ones that I really struggle with. There's some guys locally that when I roll them in the pajamas, it drives me crazy. I'm like, let go of my sleeve. I'll be sure that if we ever roll, it'll be in gi because I really want to annoy you. I'll be sure that if I come to Ireland, I'll pack my shrunk A2 tall gi so it's like freaking short sleeves on my legs and my arms got earned well, those grips well, <laughs> not IBJJF league <laughs> I don't care dude I'll get your lapel brah I don't care man oh, oh no <laughs> oh, alright so guys we've reached a segment of the podcast I like to call around the specifics just a bunch of random questions some about jiu-jitsu some aren't about jiu-jitsu so Morgan do you want to do around the specifics deal Okay, uh, some people either say yes or no as opposed to deal, but uh, okay, okay, whatever. <laughs> I know you don't like gi and stuff, but do you have a favorite gi in your collection, like a really fashionable one? Oh, yeah, I, do. I definitely do. Uh, so, again, shouting out my boy Liam Wynn. He is a purple of us, and he gave me a very hard-to-submit branded gi. VHTS, um, they're mm. made in the U.S. or in Japan, depending on where you order them from um it's really cool it's nautical themed has stripes on the inside outside's blue it's got an anchor it's like my favorite gi it's pretty much the only gi i wear to be honest man if you wear that people think you're in the fucking navy or some shit yeah i mean now that it's like so i've worn it so many times dude that it's faded it doesn't look as much like that (laughs) but yeah that's i think that's the look they're they're going for like old school sailor look where like the white and red stripe type of thing Hmm, I get you. I mean, who would you say yeah. is the most famous person you've rolled with? Besides all the guys you've just shouted out. You can't pick any of them. Craig Jones. What? My best friend, Craig Jones. He's not really my best friend, but I have rolled with him, and it was really fun. He was uh, in Portland. Uh, he, he's in Portland often because he competes with my sub card. Um, I don't know if you saw, but he was just robbed. Yeah. They made him verbal tap, apparently. It was ridiculous. But that's a whole other tangent. Uh, Craig was in town and uh, he ended up doing a seminar and and it's funny because I went to his seminar but we had rolled the day before and in our roll the day before he just kept doing this thing to me where I was like what the fuck is going on like no matter what I did I kept getting slept in the same exact way and it's because he was just practicing what he was going to teach the next day on me (laughs) (laughs) so like I spent the whole night like trying to reverse engineer this tape of Craig Jones reverse de-guarding me and just like sweeping me in weird ways. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And then I go to this seminar the next day. I'm like, oh, well, at least I'm going to learn it. Because <laughs> he's like literally teaching it. <laughs> at, at least you know it actually works because it fucking worked on you about 20 times. I was all about it. I was like, that's the greatest system of all time. Because like, <laughs> he slept me so many times. <laughs> uh, just one little aside before we move on. Fuck Craig Jones. In happy way possible. Fuck Craig Jones. 
<laughs> All right. What was your favorite TV show growing up, if you had one? Seinfeld. Man, I, 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 never, I, I never saw the appeal yeah. of Seinfeld. I never got into it. Like, what was, what was the shtick of it? Like, sell it to me. I don't... So, I was, like, a smartass as a kid. I, like, I was... I was both dumb and smart for my age so like like i wasn't great at reading yet but in like 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 i learned to read slowly right but i did not uh necessarily not talk with people so i had like a really crazy vocabulary and shit like i was talking really early but i just didn't learn how to read what that led was that i was like a toddler with sarcasm <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait, like i literally was a smart ass like i would be like no and was like are you being facetious like I was like a little ass kid <laughs> it was just like such a smart Alice you know and because of that I really took to dry humor you know so like when I would watch Seinfeld I, it would always just make me chuckle I don't know it was just such a ridiculous show that was more of the teens I'm trying to think I don't know that's number one though it's got to be Seinfeld for me I think that the characters are, are ridiculous the writing is, is pretty good I really like Larry Davidson's humor but Overall, it's more it's more so just like I love satirical comedy, so I don't know. Not the best mm. pitch for Seinfeld, but I feel like if you were gonna watch it, you would have done that already. <laughs> You're uh, out of nah. Well, man, it, it never showed in in Ireland because no one in Ireland gives a shit about Jerry Seinfeld. That's interesting. I mean, he's not a very good comedian anymore, but I think that he's not. His last stand up was garbage. But like, I I think that his observations were were interesting at the time well, his, what's his, the deal his, with um, airline food like, that's, a great, <laughs> exactly. that's a good observation <laughs> well like i don't i'm not saying his stand-up i'm saying like as a sitcom like taken <laughs> to the sitcom form with larry david is fun mm. i'm well, then, so expensive i'm like <laughs> i'm defending myself <laughs> it's all good no. but we cannot we can all agree that the b movie was a work of uh of just master master class you like jazz you like that? <laughs> oh, but it spun off so many fucking memes. I, I just love it to death. I, you gotta love the B movie for that. Hundred percent. Mm. Man, what was your first video game console? What was your favorite game on it? So I wasn't allowed to play video games until I could read at a third grade level, right? Um, I don't know if that's if how you're. Your schooling system's a little different, but third grade's not particularly difficult reading level wise. Uh, but like I was saying earlier, dude, I was I'm dyslexic, um, and so like I basically went from not being able to read to being able to read like middle school books, like like teenager books, you know. And so like I wasn't allowed to have video games until I could fucking read at third grade level. And if I'm sitting there in third grade, and all my is right when Pokemon came out. And all my friends were playing Pokemon. They all had Game Boys. And I'm just sitting there, like, enraged. And so the summer of third grade, I taught myself how to read. And then I, like, demanded a Nintendo 64. So that was my, <laughs> my first console. I was, like, I literally, like, slay, I, so I read uh, The Lord of the Rings, like, uh, The Fellowship of the Ring. I wrote a terrible book report on it. I slammed that packet of paper on my mom's desk. And I was, like, buy me a Nintendo 64. <laughs> <laughs> That's one. That's one fucking way to negotiate. Jesus Christ, bro. Yeah, yeah man. Man. Fucking, uh. <laughs> yeah, I know. For Christmas, it came a little mm. bit later. But for story's sake, it makes more sense if I got it immediately after demand. Yeah, 
Yeah, just like for, for narrative purposes. Like if, if there was a movie based on your life that would say based on Morgan's life, not based on a true story, not a true story. That's that's the <laughs> distinction. Exactly. Yeah, if it says based on a true story, they made up shit to make it more entertaining. If it just says a true story, then, you know, it's more often than not, like more accurate. But if it says based, it's uh, bullshit, most of it. <laughs> Good to know. So, yeah, yeah. Nintendo 64... And then I had a game. I loved my Game Boy as a kid, man. Like, oh, uh, Johnny, something funny. Like the way I found out about that whole distinction about based on a true story or a true story is uh, because of that movie in like 2008. Uh, it's called Surfs Up. It's a bunch of penguins surfing in Hawaii. Um, and it's at the <laughs> end. At the end, it said a true story. I'm like, wait a minute. Did fucking penguins and chickens actually go surfing in Hawaii? And then I was like, well, obviously not, because fucking. You know, it's bullshit. You get my point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. That's funny. Uh, uh, yeah, that's the distinction. Man, if you could ban one guard or position from competition, what would it be and why? Dude, I don't know. One, wait, one guard? Yeah. Uh, okay. This is, a, this is from left field, but I would ban De La Eva guard. Until it's renamed, because I don't know if you saw the controversy stuff, but that De La Hiva situation with the sexual assault allegations and then him kicking out all women from all of his affiliations, that shit pisses me off so much and it drives me crazy that there is a position in, in jiu-jitsu that is referred to as this guy's name. Also, I don't like De La Hiva guard anyways, because you can get back to me. <laughs> Uh, evil guard but ar- arguably i'm not banning our dlr which is reverse daily guard because i have an acronym for it well you could argue that it's reverse daily it's like the opposite of the of daily so better you, know, you could Good. not bad <laughs> you could you could make that distinction or something i don't fuck i don't know i don't know all the details and shit so i'm not really gonna you know comment and shit so that's it to ban another position and maybe north south but that's mostly just because like i'm working on some cool things and i don't want people to really get out of them but no one play north south for a little bit so i can like sharpen these couple things <laughs> I, I, I know i just assumed you didn't like having balls in your face so i thought that's why you don't like north south like most people don't like it that way well, that's why most people sure, hate I, north I, south i definitely don't like that that's true <laughs> Nah, as as long as you say no homo before every round, it's it's all good. Yeah, very <laughs> 2011 of your jujitsu. Well, dude, that's that's the that's the unwritten rule. You just get, you gotta say no homo. Like jujitsu, dude. I don't know. I feel like jujitsu. If if you bring anything homoerotic, jujitsu is very suspect. So I don't like to think of it like that. I know you're joking, but like the amount of, of other men's sweat that has dripped into my eyes and mouth makes me cringe. So I try not to try not to think about it. Oh man, <laughs> I get this. One time someone's fucking sweat went right into my fucking ear and I could like and I couldn't fucking hear properly for like two hours. I couldn't hear at all because your man's sweat dropping oh. was so big, went right into my ear. You just say ear when you said that. That's gross. <laughs> like getting water stuck in your ear, but it's flat. That's hilarious. Yeah, no. And then never had thing. that happen to me. 
See, like my dad, he works in a really loud factory and like he can't really hear that well. So I'm, I'm always making fun of him about it. It's like jokingly. And then it happened to me. I was like, man, uh, am I going to be fucking deaf now? Is this like my comeuppance for making fun of my dad the whole time? <laughs> He's earning a living to provide for you. Well, still, it's just the hearing thing. It's uh, it's just a bit of bit of crack. And then like uh, that happened to me. I was like, oh, shit. It's a bit of comeuppance there. That's actually really relevant to my life. Uh, my hearing in my left ear is almost gone completely now. So, like, I'm having to restudy, like, sign language and shit lately. Just because, like, it has gotten gradually worse over the last three years. So I've been looking at, like, getting a hearing aid and shit. It sucks. Super duper mm. sucks. Uh, get a get a fashionable one that looks like an iPod, an iPod or something. Then you you can get away with it. So, full circle. I was thinking about this. Actually, I was gonna bring it up earlier because I think it's hilarious. So my AirPods don't fall out of my ears because when I first got them, I had really bad cauliflower ear. Like my ears were swollen, and so I on a flight to the East Coast um, when one of my training partners had a match. I flew with her to be on actually the finishers. Uh, and we went out for her match and I fell asleep on the flight with my earpods in or airpods and I woke up and like my cauliflower ear had hardened around my earpods holy so, like, shit so like I have perfectly sized airpod holes in my ears <laughs> that- and I'm like damn that's the move dude you just gotta push it into your cauliflower ear it's painful but like then you let it heal around them and then you always have headphones Oh my god, man. Imagine if you couldn't take it out because it healed so well all around it and you forever had to have an ear, ear pod in your ear. Well, it would have been fine because I'm deaf in that ear anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> Forever fashionable uh, as well, by the way, if you had that yeah. in the whole time. Perfect. Mm, oh man, if you had a time machine, where's the first sort of historical period you travel to? So, like, I love dinosaurs as a kid especially. So I feel like, I, I don't know, because time travel is dangerous, man. You can't go back. If you go back, you fuck with stuff. Okay, let's, like, say, like, let's like, say you make a whole <laughs> new universe, like a whole new timeline. Okay, like, so you go, don't, you know. okay perfect. I can go mess with someone else's timeline. Yeah, right, no, right. no consequences. Then I'm definitely still picking dinosaurs. <laughs> but, like, it depends. It depends. If, am I just time traveling or, like, do I have, like, protection? Because, like, everyone says, like, I'd go back and kill Hitler. I'm like, dude, it'd be so hard to just go back and kill Hitler. Like, if I just went back to the 1940s, I'm like, how am I just going to get to Germany? <laughs> like, like, unless you traveled, like, like pinpointed to teleport into, like, Hitler's bedroom at, like, 4 o'clock in the morning and shoot him and feck off. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> Even then, I feel like it's not easy to just kill I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, pick di- I would pick dinosaurs because I'm really, like, curious. Or maybe Egypt, actually. I'm going to steal the Joe Rogan answer. That's my answer. I'm picking, like, ancient Egypt or ancient Greece because I want to see how that shit got made. Like, pyramids and stuff. Mm. I'm curious. Yeah. Now, man, what would you say... That's a good one, man. What would you say is the worst movie you've ever seen in your life? Worst movie? Worst movie, like film. Okay. I was like, in jujitsu, I got an answer for that. But, oh... (laughs) Uh, I'm going to answer it what I thought you asked real quick, just because I, I got to say it. Okay. When someone like, has your back and they try to like straight arm lock you from your back, like 
like when like it's hard to explain never mind basically what i mean is like when you're escaping back control and then like you try to like bend their arm against your head i don't know if i can explain what i'm talking about but there's one of my training partners always does this bullshit move where i'm like yeah if i let you do that to my arm it would make me tap but i like i don't let it happen so it doesn't work and he always gets one of my female training partners with it and it drives me fucking crazy because i'm like no that's not real (laughs) like stop tapping her with that she's small and that's <laughs> God. Say that's a jerk jitsu next time you see him. Then he'll stop doing us. Yeah. Okay, sorry. You said movie. Worst movie? Yeah. yeah. In like a, I don't know. I don't think I have a worst movie. I just stop watching things that are bad. So like <laughs> that's hard to hard to maybe Little Nicky, the Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> I love. That even though it's really bad the movie's like terrible but the bulldog in it makes me laugh every time so mm. uh adam sandler is like he's an enigma he he has good movies but he also has some a lot of shit like he's an enigma in that sense yeah yeah 95 percent of his movies are horrible <laughs> but but man when he when he hits he hits hard fucking happy gilmore was the fucking Billy Madison, the, the uh, old ones were Dude, Uncut Gems was pretty good. I just watched that. Not bad. Oh, man. Do you know uh, the girl from Billy Madison, the hot teacher lady? She was uh, Sonya Blade in the Mortal Kombat movie. Mortal Kombat movie? Is that your favorite bad movie? Because that movie is pretty bad. <laughs> uh, well, that's one of them. But like I'm saying the, the teacher from Billy Madison... That Adam Sand- Adam Sandler's girlfriend in that movie was Sonya Blade in the Mortal Kombat movie. I got what you're saying. <laughs> like, I get it. That's funny. Oh, sorry. I, I thought you. That. I thought you didn't hear me. So, like, uh, what's it? Um, what's this? Oh yeah, we got a bit of a moral uh, conundrum here for this question. If you're up for it. Shoot. Okay. Uh, would you rather cure cancer or solve world hunger? I would cure cancer because I don't, I think world hunger is a problem that's created. Like it's a created problem, whereas cancer exists. So like we have the means to end world hunger as like a, a race of people, like humankind has the means to do that. And I don't, I mean, I'm sure we have the means to figure out a cure for cancer too, but that's not readily available. Whereas like you could just figure out the hunger thing. <laughs> so mm. answer, picking cancer. No, I get you. See, if you were president of Earth, what's the first sort of thing you do? First, like law, you'd enact. The Earth we have now, <laughs> like I feel like there's a lot of problems. <laughs> okay, what's I'd the, probably what's... try to make a move to clean to clean energy globally, because mm. I feel like if you go clean energy, that's the first step in like making a lot of things correct. Because like. Our ocean needs saving. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Mm. That's hard, man. Now I'm just thinking about how fucked up the world is. Quick, ask me another question. <laughs> okay. What would you say is your jiu-jitsu spirit animal if you have one? Oh, dude, uh, cephalopods. Like an octopus, definitely. <laughs> um, I like to... I like to... Well, when I think of that, I think about how they attack in water, where more often they move around their opponent or their their prey so like they wrap themselves around and then they move so like when i think of like for example 
in February, I won a title match where I, I got a heel hook with one second on the clock, like the dude tapped. Oof. Um, so barely, barely. And then it would have been the OT. It was a 10-minute match. So I got it at like 9.57, and he tapped at 9.59. But uh, we rolled a bunch. And as I rolled through, I, every time I watched that, it looks just like that, too. So it made me really happy. I was like, I look like an octopus killing something in the water. That's awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like that's pretty neat. <laughs> well, I guess I guess it's a good thing that you don't do worm guard or or squid guard or anything, because then you'd be like a super duper octopus in that regard. So like, oh shit, I play, that's octopus. I play octopus guard all the time. It's from yeah, it's like essentially like a half guard hip bump combination where you like duck under their arm. I play the shit out of octopus guard. I love that shit. They're so fun. Ah, okay. Okay, we've reached the last question. Woo! If you're ready for the last question. Yeah, I'm always ready, buddy. What's up? No, man. Uh, what would you say is the most important lesson you've learned in all the years of training jiu-jitsu? Probably one I've learned recently. Yeah, I got this. Sorry, I didn't mean to sit in the mic. Um, no, it was just a dramatic pause. Like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was very well. I had to think about it, man. That's a that's a. I got a lot of answers, but I think the 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 thing that is most powerful and impactful that I've learned is has been fairly recently, man. Like, and it's, it's just to be grateful. Like, I, and I know everyone preaches that, but like, heading not being able. So like, okay, in February I was competing, right? Competing a bunch. I did grappling industries. I won a title. I'm on cloud nine. COVID stuff happens. I end up not only oh I took another match I got my arm popped by a blue belt broke my my ego was shattered bro I then I let my arm heal and my knee pops and then COVID strikes and I can't train for three months you know and what that causes is like for me to reflect a lot and like upon that reflection I realized something and so like I I really missed competing and and as, as terrified as I am of competing like I I get really bad anxiety bro like I get I get like I got to go do affirmations and talk to myself in the mirror because I'm so anxious type of thing. Mm. And, and what I realized is like, that's okay. Like it's fine to be nervous. And, and I know everyone says that, like, if you weren't nervous, like you're crazy, like you're going to do combat, yada, yada, yada. And there's all these different ways that people say that. But the thing that is most impactful to like my jujitsu journey, man, was that like, I get to do this, you know, like I, I live a weird life, a very eclectic one, but I've finagled and, and positioned myself and I'm, I'm fortunate to be able to do all these things because of the support and love of the people around me, you know, the people that believe in me, win or lose. Like I went out there to finishers. I had a match with a really strong brown belt. In my head, it felt like I got fucked up for six minutes. Upon review, I showed good defense, but I definitely did lose. And the first thing I felt, I mean, okay, immediately when I lost, rage, very angry. But after, like, I caught my breath, you know, I was taking a walk, and all I felt was grateful, bro. I'm great, like, because, like, being being able to compete, being able to go do jiu-jitsu, like, I love jiu-jitsu, man. So, like, yeah, I went out there, and I lost. That sucks. But I also got to go out there and, like, do something I love against someone that's re- that, that's pretty good. And, like, test those things that I do in the gym and test my art, you know, and push myself. So, I guess, like, the big lesson is that, like, is don't, like, I know, fuck, I don't want to be, like, so stereotypical, but, like, 
if you can't be grateful and like you can't have fun you know like if you go out there and you're like i gotta win or like all you care about is a win you might win but like for me i didn't start losing till like purple belt dude like i i would always at least medal even if it was like third place every time i would compete i would at least medal and so i started like taking l's at purple belt and it really fucked with my head and, and i don't think I know I was, I was like, never lose, win and learn. Like, you know how there's all those stereotypical things that like people say to you in jujitsu? Mm. It, it, I guess like for me, the piece is like being grateful is the thing that makes all those things true. You know, where I'm like, yeah, win and learn, win or learn, win or learn. It's like, yeah, I guess, but it's like, I get to do it. I don't know, man. It's like, I guess that's kind of a convoluted answer, but being grateful. Mm. No, that's a pretty good one, dude. So, so guys, we've reached the end of the podcast today. If you want to follow Morgan on Instagram, it's at Morgan Matizek. I'll have it in the description anyway, so you can just copy and paste it or link it. Yeah, or maybe I should, I should change How, my hands to something that's phonetic. <laughs> whatever, dude. That's all good. But like, uh, so Morgan, is there anything you want to say? Is there anything you want to say before we shoot off? Like any parting words of wisdom? Nah, man, I, I, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be on here. Oh, oh you know, I, uh, I'll i be competing uh, August 29th in Post Falls, Idaho. Uh, I'm in a eight-man cash prize tournament um, at a Jean-Jacques Machado school in Idaho. That should be fun, eight-man sub only, but it's like IBJJF rule, kind of. It's kind of weird. Mm. Like, there's no reaping or heel hooks, but it's 10-minute matches sub only with EBI overtime. So really looking forward to that. That's what's on the horizon. In terms of thank yous, I mean, I got all my teams, you know, I'm very fortunate to have a lot of good people around me. I got Kyle McCutcheon, Kendra Jiu-Jitsu, I got Phil Schwartz at 10th Planet Portland. Got my beloved girlfriend, Lena Lexunkin, and my boy Austin is on UFC Fight Pass this weekend. That's about it. <laughs> uh, so, guys, thanks for listening today. Oos.